we ask that your spirit would move. Come on, how many just want to see the spirit of God move in and through you? Would you just raise up your hands in a sign of surrender and just say, God, move me. God, move me. I want to be led by your spirit, oh God. Move me on my job. Come on, somebody be clear about your movement. Where do you want to see God move you? Lord, move me in my family. Lord, move me in my relationships. Everything that I do, oh God, move me for your glory. Father, we don't expect anything to change without your change, oh God. And God, I know the change starts in me. Amen. If you can, place your hand over your heart as they prepare uh, for me to preach with the podium. Come on, place your hand over your heart and say right now, change in here, God. Move me in here, oh God. Move me in here, Lord, so that I'm not the same. Hearts need to change. Thank you. Hearts need to change my heart to be like you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that in these end times, oh God, that there is a word for your church and that, God, if there was ever a church that I felt spoke to us out of the book of Revelation, it is the Philadelphia church, the church of brotherly love. Oh God, we just need to know it's us, God. We're not waiting for somebody else. Lord, the change starts here in our hearts. And then, God, for the nation, what we want to see, it starts here in Chicago. I can't think of a greater place, Lord, than to see you demonstrate revival in a nation than in this city. Lord, what a great test group. What a test group, God, that we could be for your glory to show that if you can do it here in Chicago, you can do it all around the world. You have picked different places for different reasons and different seasons, Lord. And we pray that you will shine your face upon Chicago once again. That, Lord, what we say every week about the 100,000 disciples would not just be make-believe or fantasy, God, but it would come through changed hearts and lives. That stadiums would be filled with disciples, O oh Lord. That churches would be planted around this city and nation and around the world that hold true to your word that are disciples that make disciples, leaders of their families, leaders of their communities, oh God. May it be ever so. Can we just sing it slowly one more time to the Lord? Move me. Move right through me. How can I stand still when you're moving through me? God, how can we not do something great for you? We have the same spirit who raised, dead, uh, raised Christ from the dead as we're about ready to celebrate an Easter time. How can we not be moved? Do it, Jesus. One more time. How can I not be moved? Move right through me. Spirit, use me. Spirit, move me. Amen. If you believe it, can I hear an amen? Can you bless the Lord as you do it? Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to ask Vinny to stay up here on the keys. Glad to see everybody here this morning, but I want to end with a time of prayer. I want to end with us receiving who we are in the kingdom of God. I oftentimes, when I, when I come to the services, I want to be very obedient to what God is telling me to do, and I don't want my emotions to get in the way but I want to be sensitive to how the Spirit moves through emotions. This is one of those emotional messages where I kind of had to ask the Lord, is it okay for me to let them see what I'm experiencing in you? And I just sense the Lord saying, just let it out. Let them see your heart. Because so oftentimes as a pastor, when I come before you, I have become um, cognizant. I become aware that if I cry, then maybe you're going to cry. If I laugh, you're going to laugh. And that's just kind of follow the leader mentality. If you want to know how easily manipulated we are, just watch people at a wedding and listening to the DJ. You know, now we're going to do the electric slide. Everybody does the electric slide. Now we're going to do this. And we're all so easily manipulated in that way. And as a pastor, I've been very, I've been very um, 
aware that I can't manipulate the Spirit of God. Even though it may be real for me and what He's doing, I can't do that. So I may call on some of you in this service. And if you're um, here today, we believe that you trust us as a church. So if I call on you and I speak something to you, please uh, trust us and pray on it and speak to leaders about it. But I want to make this message as personal as I can. Because this is an emotional message for me. This is a touching message. We are going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And now we're at the part of the book of Revelation where Jesus is giving his report card to the churches. And if you've been keeping track, we have only heard about one good church. But we don't really hear much about uh, that good church. And that good church for your, your memory was Smyrna. And we, we just didn't hear a lot about it. You know, they're a good church. They're doing well. But here God mentioned some pretty powerful things about the Philadelphia church. I have this on our notes. And... Uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're, the Smyrna Church, we know that they're going through some hard things and they're not afraid to suffer for Jesus. That's, that's pretty much all that we hear. In Philadelphia, he goes further than that. He, he compliments not only their willingness to suffer for Jesus, but he adds some other things that just speak to me as a leader. And, you know, I, I look at you as a congregation, as some of the greatest people that I've ever had to, the honor to meet in my life. I mean that. I really do. You have uh, showed me faithfulness. You have showed me just grace. You have showed me compassion and love for Jesus. You know, you have showed me fatherhood. You've showed me motherhood. You've showed me what it's like to serve Jesus. So many of you. And I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm holding back you know, most of the time, but today I'm not. I'm going to let it out. And if I call on you, let me call on you. Let me encourage you. If it comes with a little bit of a challenge, let it be challenging. But trust us today because this word about being pillars in the house of God, because that's the compliment that he pays the Philadelphia church. Uh, Filio meaning uh, love and Adalfois meaning brother. So city of brotherly love. It didn't start in America. It started in Greece, uh, uh, you know, with the Romans and everything. This is a Greek name. And the Romans took over the, the, the Greek empire. And now we can see this church really kind of lived up to that name. So it's spiritual, you know, that they were in that city and they were living like this. And I think that that's not a coincidence. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you are here today in this church sensing that the Lord is calling you here for this reason and this season. And for so many of us, we've, we've been through the battles. We've been through the rebukes. We've been through the, you know, the challenges of living for Jesus in this culture. But oftentimes, we're, sometimes the warriors are the hardest ones to get to take off the armor and sit at the feet of Jesus because we think that all Jesus is is a warrior because we've been in war. But Jesus is not only a warrior because we've been in war. He's also a shepherd. And that's why I love the the warrior poet. (laughs) I love David, you know. He can beat you up. He can kill something. And then he can just sit down and play his harp. And he can look good at the same time, you know. He's a handsome warrior poet. That's, That's how I see our role oftentimes. And even as a as a church like this, is you can get so caught up in, boy, I'm doing accountability, I'm doing discipleship, I'm going out witnessing, I'm, I'm shouting at the altars. And sometimes we can forget, what is this building up towards? What is the end goal of all of this? Is the end goal us just to be great shouters at an altar call? Is the end goal just for us to be bold preachers? Is the end goal? No, the end goal is to be pillars in the temple of God. This is what God is building up right here. You see, this pillar is holding up this roof right here. And God is wanting us to be like this in the temple of God. God is making us his trophies of grace. He didn't need us. He could have done this on his own. But he chose to use us as pillars. He chose to use us as trophies. He chose to use us, that which he boasts about in the face of the devil and and boasts about in the face of his other angels. We are a testimony to the righteous angels of how good our God is that they've been worshiping this whole time. And we are a testimony to the fallen angels about what they 
we're jealous of but can never have now. And so we need to be pillars. Somebody say, I'm a pillar in the house of God. Amen. Let's read the passage, and then let's make it applicable. I have to be still faithful to the text and make sure we understand it, but I want to apply it in such a way by God's grace that changes our hearts and helps us see who we are. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge I have loved you. I hope I can demonstrate that today in just a few moments. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Somebody say amen to them. We got to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let me give you my best explanation of this passage and then we'll apply it. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. As is Jesus' habit, he starts off with a declaration. The declaration is here, is that he is the holy and true one. There is no one like our Jesus. The second thing is, is he holds the keys of David. This stands for authority. As the God-man, he has the authority on earth to rule and reign as king. And with his authority, he can open up doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open. He has the authority on earth to bind and to loose. And as we learn later on in the scripture, he gives this first to Peter and then for, through Peter to the disciples. And so we do not necessarily believe in the Roman Catholic Church, but we believe in the Catholic Universal Church that has been passed down from the ages, from the disciples. We do not believe in the traditions of men and the faults of men that have been attached to it. We believe in the scriptures that have been handed down to us by those men to guard the truths of Jesus Christ. And so by that authority, we bind and loosen the heavenly realms in the name of Jesus. His authority has been given to us. And that's what he's saying. He's doing these things on behalf of the authority he has received and he's giving us that same authority and he's saying specifically to this church I've opened up spiritual doors for you that no one can shut so don't be afraid of missing out on what I have for you I've got your back somebody say God's got your back and so what God is setting up for you you cannot miss out on it doesn't matter what's going on in the economy. If God has set you up to be blessed and prosperous, you will be blessed and prosperous. It doesn't matter if they arrest us and put us in jail like they did with Joseph. In jail, we will still be in charge. We'll be blessed. It doesn't matter where we are in this world. If God is opening up doors, God will keep those doors open. He then says that the synagogue of Satan is messing with them, but they are going to come down and worship God on their knees before these people and acknowledge that Jesus has totally loved them and that they were wrong the whole time. My brother, would you come forward, please? Daniel has uh, moved to Colorado, but he came to visit us this uh, last couple of weeks. Let's give it up for Daniel. Come stand up here and face the people, please, because I want to demonstrate this. Thank you. Just stand a little bit more towards the front. I want to get it so they can see the, the Scripture. Notice that what it says right here. It says they say that they are, you know, Jews, but they're really not. They claim to be Jews. They're liars, so they don't live like true Jews. You can claim to be a Christian and be a liar. Jesus says that about all kinds of people. It doesn't matter what you say with your mouth. I can say I'm a millionaire. It doesn't make me one. Okay, you could say you're a Jew even though you're born from the lineage of, of Judah and from the Jewish people and not live like one. You can say you're a Christian and not be like one. And so look at the example it says right here. It says that Daniel, let's use him as the, the person that's a Christian in Philadelphia, and I'll be the bad person here. Let's say these bad people have been messing with you and, and trying to take your stuff and persecute you. The Bible says on judgment day, God is going to say, hey, I got a place for you to worship. 
You're going to worship right here. Come, come kneel down before me right here. It's not you're just going to kneel down somewhere over there in front of a mountain. You're going to kneel down right in front of him. The one that you were persecuting, the one that you were mess that you were messing with, I'm gonna have you kneel down right in front of them. Not worship him, but I'm gonna have you kneel down right in front of them and acknowledge, yes, Jesus did love you. I was wrong, and now I worship and I acknowledge him. And if they were not born again, the last thing they're gonna say is Jesus is Lord as he casts them out. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Give it up for Daniel. Thank you, my brother. Think of that reality. That might scare some of you because that sounds weird. That you mean my enemies. When God says vengeance is mine, says the Lord, yes, that should scare the hell out of them because that means, yes, your enemies will be having their kneecaps broken, pushed down if they're not willing to do it, kneeling before the Christians that they have persecuted and will confess, you were right. Jesus did love you. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. How many times have we as street preachers been out preaching and they mock us and ridicule us and say, Jesus don't love you. Jesus is not into that. Jesus called me to tell me he hates you. We hear that all the time. How did they know? How did did John the Revelator know? How did Jesus, we know he knows because he's the son of God, but play along with this. How did they know that in the 21st century, people would still be cracking jokes of mockery on Christians going, hey, I just got a call from Jesus. He said he don't love you. You're not of his. How did they know they would be making memes of Jesus with his head down saying, I'm ashamed of this one, and they put it up on our church page? How did they know? How did John know? How did Jesus know? Obviously, because God knows all. He's the first and the last, right? And that's why we're sitting here today, and we're wondering sometimes, does Jesus really got my back? Because I'm going through things where people are saying the most ugliest stuff about me. You may be going through a situation right now, and people are saying, God's not with you. Look at all the problems you're having. Look at me. I just got three promotions. This is why you still haven't found a job. God's not with you. Look at how every one of your situations, your relationships don't work. Or look at how your kids are not doing well. See, God doesn't love you. My kids just got a scholarship. They'll try to point out their worldly accolades and sometimes try to point that back at a Christian and say, look, it's not working well for you. Bill Gates, you know, Oprah Winfrey, people of power, Jeff, Jeff Bezos can look back at us and say, how's that tithe working for you? I don't even tithe and I'm the richest man in the world. I don't give to God and I still do charity. How's that working out for you? Silly Christians, Jesus doesn't love you. You've been bamboozled. You've been hoodwinked. You've been deceived. The Bible says, no, he's going to have them come fall at our feet. They're going to come fall at our feet and go, I was wrong. Jesus does love you. Jesus loved that you were preaching to me. Jesus loved that you were going out of your way to help me to correct wrongs in my life. So we see that Jesus is going to make the wrongs right. The last thing that he says is uh, in, in a way of blessing them as he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. We don't know exactly what this was, but God was going to keep them from whatever was coming upon the earth at that time. And so we think that God is good to his people and that he knows how to protect them. How many believe that? And, so, and some of us who will uh, we'll get into after we get done with the churches and we look to the rapture, we look to this as a promise that if he would do this for them in that church, then he would do it for us upon the earth and rapture us before the great tribulation and before those things happen. So this is a great uh, promise that we use into our other beliefs of end times. But the most important thing that we can just get here is that God says there's trials that people go through. They're, they have already been going through trials and, and they have been uh, murdered and killed in this time, just like the other city churches were in the Roman Empire. They were being persecuted. But he says, for you guys, just for this situation, this thing that's coming upon the earth, I'm going to spare you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to do a Noah thing for you. And and like we've seen in other passages, and and especially even with Jesus being crucified, it doesn't mean every time in life we're not going to 
go through trials or that if we're always a Christian, we won't suffer. But he does keep his eyes on us. And so if we're suffering, we know it's Father filtered. We can trust him. But there are times that God says, this is not going to happen to you. I'm going to protect you. How many believe God knows how to protect us? And so this church is going to be blessed with that protection. Now what is the instruction? The instruction is hold on to what you have. Don't let go of it. Hold on to it. And then what does he close out with? I'm coming soon, so everybody remember that. Not coming as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king. We're going to learn all about that as we get into the other chapters of Revelation. He then says what I want to focus on in my application today, that the one who's victorious, the one who doesn't give up, the one who stays strong in Christ, they will be a pillar in the temple of God. And we know why Jesus can be God and have a God. We have talked about that last week. I don't have time to repeat that theological understanding in every time, every reference he says he has a God, but just very simple. The Son of God, equal with the Father, did not have that role until he became flesh. And since all flesh is submitted to his Father, the Son in flesh has been forever submitted to his Father. But just because my wife has a husband doesn't mean that she's not equal to me in in her humanity. Just because you and I submit to police officers in their authority does not mean that we're not equal to them in nature. Does everybody get that? Just because Jesus, now God in the flesh, submits to God the Father with his flesh, that does not mean he's no longer God. We submit one to another in positions of authority all the time. So I always have somebody over me, under me, around me in those phases of relationship, over, next to, and under. But that doesn't change natures. And so Jesus has this relationship now with the Father as my God. That's why he calls him my God, but that doesn't mean he's of a different nature. He shares the nature. How many know my children still share my nature? They have a Father. They can submit to me, but they're still human beings like me. Jesus is still equal to the Father in divinity. There's not three gods. There's one God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not a sub-part of God. He doesn't get created later by God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's about our Jesus. I am going a little bit further than I thought I would, okay? And the Word was made flesh and made His dwelling among us. So when the Son of God, or God the Son, came in the flesh, He forever submitted himself to the Father God of all flesh. Amen? But what is most important about this for us today to take away is that he says, you will be a pillar in the house of my God. I got to finish this, but this just touches my heart in so many ways. The Bible then says that Jesus will write on us the name of God. So how many are ready to be tatted up for Jesus? Amen. I always love the jokes about the tattoos. You know, uh, the ones with tattoos always are told, well, your body's a temple, your body's a temple. And then they'll have in the meme a cathedral and go, this is what temples look like now. You know, all the art and everything. My body's a temple. I might as well decorate it, you know. And, and in the Old Testament, the forbidding of tattooing was to remember the dead and pagan practices. And so also, just remember, once again, there are many things in the Old Testament we do not keep as law because we're under a new covenant. We're under a new covenant. That doesn't mean those laws were not important for that time. It just means that the covenant has changed, and so has the law. The Bible is clear about that. So don't let anybody ever try to say that you're a hypocrite because you don't keep all of the Old Testament law. Okay? We believe as Christians that the Old Testament law has been fulfilled and whatever has been brought to us now in the new covenant comes directly from Christ and the apostles. And have they repeated much of the moral law? Yes. So the morals of sexuality are repeated. That's why we keep them and don't keep the dietary laws. The dietary laws are not repeated. Can everybody get that? It's like so funny that they always want to make fun of that we're in 2.0 and not 1.0. Do you want us to live in 1.0? Do you want us to go back to stoning you? I mean, we could, but that's not where we're at now. We're in 2.0, but they try to point out a hypocrisy. Well, you take some, you, you use some, and then you don't use some. You follow some, and you don't follow some. Do you know who taught us to do that? Jesus taught us to do that. Jesus taught us which ones we're going to take from the old into the new. That's not something a Christian tried to develop to be mean to homosexuals but still eat bacon. That was never like the goal. I'm going to be a Christian that can still eat bacon because I'm very self-centered, but at the same time, I want to hate on you because you're a homosexual. Ooh, how can I do this? I'm going to pick and choose from the Old Testament. That's not how we as Christians came to our doctrines. 
We came to our doctrines to understand what was old and new based on what Jesus taught. Somebody say, what Jesus taught. So when it came to stoning, we don't do that. Jesus taught us that. When it came to dietary laws, we don't do that because Jesus says, hey, guys, let's think about it. That was for a time and a season because really what goes into you goes what? Out of you. It doesn't touch your heart. It's really the heart. And so the diet was just to help you think about your heart. Jesus taught us how to pick and choose what goes from the old to the new. So don't let them make you feel bad about that. But in, in the kingdom of God, as the kingdom of God is coming, and maybe we should just understand this just for a little bit. I'm going to go to, um, let's go to Matthew so we can give you a little bit of an understanding. Go to Matthew chapter 5, please. How many believe in the kingdom of God? How many believe the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven? Amen. So we just need to understand this before we go to the pillar part. Because everything that Jesus is saying right here, you have to see in the context of the kingdom. Now let me just remind everybody. When Jesus was with them after the resurrection... What was the number one thing he talked to them about for the 40 days he was with them? Because I'm going to ask them to put in here Acts chapter 1. Don't do it yet, please. But does anybody know what was the number one thing after the resurrection, before the ascension, what was the number one topic that Jesus talked to his disciples about? What was it? Kingdom of God. God bless you, pastoral intern. Let's give it up for Brother Rudy. Earning his keep. You're going to get a raise. You're going to get a raise as a pastoral intern. Now please put in Acts chapter 1 just before we even get to Matthew chapter 5. When we see the importance of the kingdom of God, we'll understand why revelation is so important and what it means. Notice this right here. Jesus is about ready to ascend and he's presenting himself to the disciples. Look at what it says here in verse 3. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? He spoke to them about what? One more time. He spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. So everything Jesus was about after the resurrection, after everything was done with the cross and burial and now he's alive, everything was about the kingdom. This is how the kingdom is going to be. This is what the kingdom is going to be like. This is how you're going to get ready for the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, this is what you're going to do. 40 days. 40 days. Literally right now, what I just said, what I just said took me 30 seconds. Most of you, that's all you know about the kingdom of God. Jesus went on for 40 days. Talk about a conference. Talk about a seminar. 40 days explaining the kingdom. Not just that little sentence I just said. There's a king coming. We're going to be in a kingdom. Things are going to be awesome. Yay. No, 40 days. Repentance. How do we enter the kingdom? Repentance. What is repentance? You can just imagine Jesus going over it. This is what repentance is. This is what it looks like when you're sorrowful for your sins. Obedience. What is obedience? What are the commands? What is it like to walk in the power that you've seen me walk in? How does the power of God represent the kingdom of God? Forty days, over and over again, Jesus is talking to them about the kingdom, what the kingdom is like, how we enter the kingdom, who is the king of the kingdom, what are the things the king does, what are the things the citizens do, who are the leaders of the kingdom, what is the kingdom like now as it's breaking forth, what is the kingdom going to be like when he comes in full power, the kingdom, the kingdom. What is it all about? The kingdom of God. We've done a sermon series on it. The kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God, he starts here in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount with the attitudes, the beatitudes of the kingdom. And the very first thing he teaches us is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. So if you want to enter into this kingdom, you've got to be what? Poor of spirit. But now you're hearing in the book of Revelation, as he's speaking to them, as we see in our notes, that we're going to be honored in this kingdom. So it's kind of upside down. We start poor, but we end rich. We start on our knees, but we end ruling and reigning. Is everybody getting that? We start being under the world's authority. We end over the world with authority. We rule the world. Now, some of you might think that sounds like Justice League. That sounds like Marvel Comics. No, Marvel Comics is copying from us. Justice League is copying from us. 
This is the message of Christianity, that supernatural power is upon this earth, and we will eventually tap into it and rule and reign with it. Have you ever thought about how this ends? About what's the point of all of this? First of all, just to think about the mysteries that we already have to live with that we're not even sure of, that the kingdom of God answers. How about this? We all wake up into consciousness. We all start at some point our journey in life, three, four, five years old, depending on how far back your memories go. And we don't know where we came from. Your mommy and daddy don't know where they came from. We point to oceans. We don't even know at what's the bottom of all of these oceans. We point, is anybody following me here today? We point to stars in the sky. We don't even know how many there are. And yet we are inquisitive creatures. If I gave you four toys as a five-year-old, you would count every four, every one of them every day. I've got one, I've got two, I've got three, I've got four. I'm taking them out to hang out with my friends today. We're on a planet, we don't even know how many trees there are. We don't know how many fish there are. We don't even know how many grains of sand there are. We, don't, we, we look up at the stars, we don't even know how many stars there are. We don't even know how many galaxies there are. Our whole entire endeavor is just trying to figure out, where are we? Where is here? Where are we going? What are we doing? And yet God is breaking in through Jesus Christ and saying, I know how many stars there are. Jesus is saying, I don't, many, I don't even know how many hairs are on your head. I know how many trees there are. I know how many galaxies there are. I know how far this stretches out. I see the end of it. I know it's at the bottom of the ocean. Jesus knows all things. He's walking around with some kind of authority that's not just like a prophet. It's not just like somebody who can tell you one or two things that are good. Well, meditate. Well, do that. No, Jesus is walking around as if he owns the place. He calms the seas. Like how I changed the temperature and shut off the fan on a building thermometer. He's calming the seas. And so when he starts to talk to us about the kingdom, it's almost like this awakens in us our childlike wonder, but at the very moment we feel that childlike wonder, we push it down with our adult rationalism, which is actually adult deceivism. We think we've become more rational as an adult than the childlike faith, but actually as an adult we've just become more comfortable with our own ignorance and we deceive ourselves to think it doesn't matter anymore. The child is still asking, what's that star? And we'll rattle off a few chemical com combinations that we now know. But we have no idea how that star holds together. We have no idea how gravity works. We have no idea what dark matter is. We have no idea what vacuums of space are. We, we, <laughs> we just give a quick answer so the child will stop asking us. And so we can go back to acting like we're more rational than the child. But we're really deceived into thinking it doesn't matter where we come from. I've argued with people on the streets, and I said, if there's no God, why are we even arguing? Why, why is there even any logic to the world? Why do we care? Do we even know that we exist? I'll say these kind of questions to them. And I've even had people answer back at me because we do open mic. They'll answer back. Yeah, I don't know if I exist, but let me get back to this. Yeah, I don't know this, but let me get back to this. I'm like, hold on. You have just sawed off the limb you are sitting on. If the conversation starts with, well, I don't know if I exist, but I want to argue about this tidbit of homosexuality or this abortion debate or whatever, but I don't even know if I exist. I don't know if I'm in the matrix or if I'm on the real planet here. Like, you have no up or down. You have no understanding, yet you want to move past that and go to something you think is more important. You are deceived. And so when the Bible says here, he's going to write on the the name of God on us, he's going to tattoo us with the name of, come on, of God. He is teaching us, you're mine. I know where all this came from. You belong to me. I'm going to write my name on you like you write your name on a toy. Like how you put a code on your phone. I'm going to put a code on you. 
That's how special we are. Then he says, I'm going to put on you the name of my city. You belong here. I created you for here. I created you for glory. I created you for my purpose. And I'm going to put a new name on you. And we've talked about that before, a name that we will only know between us and God. And once again, some people might say, well, it's awfully similar to how we treat our pets. Are we just God's pets? We're more than God's pets. But if that's all we were, you're going to argue with your pet owner? How does an argument with your dog go with you? You just yank a leash, argument over. No, a little swat on the butt when they pee on the floor, and then you just put them into that cage for a little bit. I mean, that might be mean. I don't know how you guys raise your puppies and stuff, but that's how we used to in the 80s. By the way, I grew up in a neighborhood where they actually had, watch this, dog houses. (laughs) Yeah, dogs actually used to be outside. Now, my neighbor has a dog that's the size of a small horse that gallops into the house. I'm like, y'all crazy. That dog needs to be out yonder, out in the prairie. But anyways, if we were just God's pets, who's arguing with it? I don't like it. Okay, what did you change with that sassy attitude? Did you stop the sun from shining? Did you stop gravity from working? Right? We haven't changed anything. But isn't it great and isn't it beautiful? I love what John Wimber said. He said, God could have bought us with his blood and then spent us on bubble gum. He could have just wasted our lives. He could have said, you belong to me now. Just go sit up on a Himalayan mountain and go just think about, you know, whatever you like to think about. Just go up there and think about nothingness. He could have just wasted our lives on whatever he wanted because we're his creation. But yet, what does he spend us on? What He purchases us with his blood. He buys us back from the enemy, from what we have done against him, being traitors. So he purchases us with the cross. But what does he spend us on now? A relationship with him. To be intertwined with him, intermingled with his divinity. He actually brings us into relationship so that we might spend eternity with him. Daryl and Catherine, would you stand up, please? I just sense in my heart that the Lord is saying, these pillars, that's who he's called you to be. And even though there are times you question, well, am I supposed to be a pillar here? Or am I supposed to be a pillar here? Or am I supposed to be this one over here? God is saying, You're a pillar. These things work out over time, and you'll understand. But you are a pillar. Can we bless the Lord for this family today? Come on. Brother, I forgot your name, but you came the right day. Tell me your name and stand up. Is it Jason? Oh, God gave me that name to save me from embarrassing myself. Would you stand up, Jason? How many heard Jason's voice today? Can we bless the Lord? Jason, you're called to be a pillar like this right here. And I love you. And I'm going to tell you the truth. But the devil doesn't want you here. And he's going to lie to you. And he's going to tell you, this is what you're lacking. Go chase this. This is what you need. Go chase this. But man of God, this is what you are. And every good thing will come to you right here. Every good thing. Just think about it in the, in the natural. This pillar has seen everything this church has seen. Everything that God has done in this church, this pillar has seen, not by way of chasing it, but by way of remaining, being faithful. But I want to end it with an encouragement because I looked to this brother, Chris, stand up, please, because I looked to him and I said, brother, this man doesn't even come all the time, but whenever he comes, he starts singing. I said, brother, even though you're not singing up here, start singing from the church. Sing from the pews. Let people know you're a pillar. Brother, I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Chris. I'm proud of you. Pillars in the house of God. Amen. Lauren, can you stand up, please? I can't look at her yet. I might start crying. I'm going to put up, I'm going to distract myself with the scripture here. Put up Romans chapter 16. I love you so much, sister. How many know Lauren's the real deal? 
Amen. Pillars. Somebody say a pillar. I have never understood this passage as much as I do now. In Romans chapter 16, Lauren, it says, I commend to you. Listen to Paul talk here, the apostle Paul. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in, a, in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help. Somebody say, any help. Come on, thank you. Any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor or helper of many people, including me. <laughs> no, you're not done yet. I was listening to your testimony. I had not heard it for a while. She preaches our chapels as well on Monday. It's a great message. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. And she talks about how people, even in her family, didn't believe in her. But you know what God was saying? I'm going to make you a pillar for your family. I'm going to make you a pillar for them. They don't know what they don't know. They don't see the future. They think you just being a pharmacist is going to be enough, but it's not going to be enough to get them through what they're going to go through. I need you to go be a pillar. And now people are leaning on you. People are building on you. And they can't imagine what it would be like to not have you there. And I just want to tell you, not only for your family, but also for the church, you are a pillar. And on the day that we see the kingdom of God come, on that day, we're going to see you bright and shining in the kingdom of God, in the temple of our God being a pillar. Can we bless the Lord for her? Amen. Pillars in the house of God. Who today, who today is going to say, Lord, that's me? John and Lauda, would you please stand up? Lauda's expecting their first child, a baby girl. So proud of you guys. There are times in life where you meet people and you just know these people are different. I don't know if I had met you before that, but I know the first time I had that moment and it sticks in my mind, it was right by my door. Okay. Was that the first time I had met you or I had met you before? That was the first time. And this is what I said in my heart. As you're talking, you know, I'm hearing you. I'm saying, Lord, these are the kind of people I've given my life for. I pray they see this as a place of healing and of rest. And I pray they get to see themselves as pillars. And what I love about you so much is that you see, especially with Lauda, because I feel I hear your voice more. I see him serve more, but I know you've served the same. But I love your gifts. I hear your voice. I see your service. What I love about Lauda is that you have always said, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And it doesn't matter what people think, how it comes across. If I have to change it, that's fine. If I have to learn the order, I'll do it. But you're a voice. And many of you don't know this, but during our time, of when the uh, Nini's Deli happened, I got scared, and my wife was scared, and so we're rolling out, and we're leaving. I didn't have a pillar, but this sister spoke such gentle words to me. She said, you need to hear from Jesus. You need to pray, and I tell you as much as I can right now in my heart, I leaned against that pillar, and I said, Jesus, I know somebody here loves me. I know that they can see that I need to spend time with you, I pray that you will speak to me now, and God did, and he told me to get my behind back and to stand through the hardest times with the church. Can we give it up for Lauda? Amen. And I want to just share with John as well. The Bible says you'll have many proclaim faithfulness, but a faithful friend you can very, very rarely find. And brother, that's what I love about you being a man of few words, because where I find you is in faithfulness. 
I don't have to wonder where John is, and I don't have to check my tweets to be reminded of all the words and promises he's made. All I have to do is look in the house of God, and he is standing as a pillar. And if we need him to come early and stay late, he does. If we need him to to help with the outdoors, he does. If we need him to lead a Bible study, he does because he's going to be faithful to God. And there is nothing more encouraging in the house of God than for me to see men serving the Lord in faithfulness. Can we give it up for John? Thank you, Moralesis. We love you. Pillars. Pillars. Hallelujah. Pillars in the house of God. I love this because I don't know if we're going to see it all happen here. I really don't know. I'll, I'll give you a testimony. It's going to seem weird and a little bit edgy, but it's, I think it's going to make the point, and we're mostly adults here, and if you have children, maybe plug their ears or explain it to them. I'm going to try to use PG language as I can here. But when I became a Christian, by God's grace, I made a, I made a dedication not to do naughty things with myself. Okay? <laughs> Does everybody get where that's going? Okay, that's about enough we need to say about that. And I had not sinned that way, by God's grace, except one time from Bible college, and then the Lord uh, convicted me. So from 96 onward, I've been free from all that goes with that, whether it's the images online, you know what I'm saying, right? By God's grace. And so when I finally got married, 10 years later, hallelujah, sanctified and holy, but I was ready. Somebody say, he was ready. Yes, I was ready for marriage, 28 years old, waited 10 years. On that night, I was waiting for the angels to come down. Give their applause and say, well done, you made it. But there was no fanfare. There was no celebration. It was as if I could have done it all wrong and still ended up there because I knew some friends that had got drugged through their single years by the devil and finally showed up to marriage all beat up with all the different addictions and bad habits they had. And they're like, "Woo! finally made it, you know. And I'm like, well, we kind of just ended up at the same spot. I lived holy and pure, now I'm married. You didn't live holy and pure, now you're married. What's the difference? And as God is my witness, because I shared, this was one of the first things I ever shared from my heart to my wife as husband and wife. That next morning, I shared this with her. I told her everything I just shared with you. And then I said, this is what God said. God said to me, Joe, who did you do it for? Who were you pure for? Who were you doing this for? And I said, Jesus, for you, because you're worthy. You're worthy of my sexuality. I don't get to use this body any way I want. Once again, I don't even know where it came from. I don't know how it got here, by, but by your grace, by your power, I don't control any of these things. I don't even hold my heart together. I don't even beat this thing, but it's beating now. How dare I now use this against you? If you say this is your law and your word and it's for my good, I'll trust you. And he said, you did it for me. And then this is what he said. I know. And I am proud. And I rejoice. And I celebrate. And so I just want everyone to hear this because I wish that I could go through each one of you and just be like, you're a pillar, and you're a pillar, and you're a pillar, and you're a pillar. And some of you might feel a little bit offended. Maybe I didn't call on you because you're a pillar too. But listen to me. God knows. Who are you doing this for? Because God knows. God knows what it's like for you to get up every morning and come to church. God knows what it's like for you to read your Bible and study your your word, his word. God knows what it's like for you to even just believe this. How many have already seen from their friends, well, if you don't stand with this, I'm not your friend. You can just delete me right now. I mean, how many have seen those kinds of things during this time? Like just because you believe something, you just lost a family member. You just lost somebody that you were friends with from childhood. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, who knows? You know, the pastor didn't say that I'm a pillar. Or, you know, last week I came and I waited around to talk to him, but he just kept worshiping the whole time, and I just didn't feel like he cared about me. Or, you know, at the life group they, they talked and everybody said something, but, I, I, you know, I didn't get to say something. 
You know, we all get this feeling like if man doesn't affirm it, then it's not so. I want you to get this and the reality of what they're facing here. They are a minority. Their families are pagans. You would probably go to their churches and homes in secret. Those of you who know the fish that looks like it has one oval and then another oval, that was a secret code for them to meet. When they would go and interact with each other in town squares, if they were talking to somebody, they would do a motion with their foot sweeping across the ground if they thought this is where they would meet the other Christians. And if someone then completed it and went the other way with their foot, they knew this was a Christian. Where is the church, brother? Where is the church, sister? So many of them would suffer persecution. I'm reminded of Richard Wombrand. In the time of the Romanian persecution, they put them into jails and, you know, were trying to brainwash them with communism. And they threatened them not to preach. And they said, well, if you preach, we're going to beat you. And so the preachers had to count their costs and their words and make sure that if they were going to start preaching, they needed to get their message out succinctly because once the guards heard, they would come in and beat them. And Richard Wombrandt said, they beat, we preached. And at one point he tells the story that a brother was preaching and they bring him out and they beat him. And then the brother comes back into the meeting and he says, brothers, where did I leave off? And then he goes back to preaching. We don't know these people's names. I know the name of Joe Osteen, the most lukewarm pastor in America, but I don't know the name of one of my heroes who kept preaching in the face of being beaten. I know it doesn't seem fair. I know it may seem like the wicked are always being exalted. And it may feel like you're not where you're supposed to be because where you're supposed to be is supposed to be so much better than this. But God says, I have a place where I know you are going to be. You may not feel like you're where you're supposed to be. You may not feel like this is where it's supposed to be happening. But I know where you're going to be. You're going to be a pillar. You're going to be in the house of my God. You're going to be built strong. Can you get me some tissue, please? Would you grab me a discipleship-based church book, please, from our bookstore? There is a reason that why when I was finishing one of my degrees, by God's grace, I felt led to write about this church and to write about what we were doing here. There's a reason why when I talked to our designer at that time, I said, use pillars on the cover because I want people to understand who they are in this church and who they are in this movement. And so often we forget because we look around and we just think, well, I'm not that special, I'm not that important. No, you are a pillar in the house of God. When we go to the scriptures, we see that Peter and Paul were uh, pillars. Turn uh, quickly to Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Think about this. If you're living during the time of the apostles, it's obvious Peter's a pillar. Barnabas is a pillar. Thank you. It's obvious, right? But Jesus is now saying, you're a pillar. Look at it, chapter 2, verse 9 of Galatians. Paul is talking about his journey to the Jerusalem church. He says, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. How many believe James, the brother of Jesus, is a pillar? How many believe James, the brother of John, just to cover both James, is a pillar? How many believe Cephas, Peter, is a pillar? How many believe John, the one writing the book of Revelation, the gospel of John, is a pillar? How many believe you become pillars in the house of God? How many believe that you're going to see brothers and sisters that are in this church right now, just like we're in the church of Philadelphia, as pillars of God? I didn't even have time to go into the Beatitudes of the kingdom, but I, I would ask you to go back through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. As a matter of fact, bring us to Matthew chapter 6, please. To understand how important the kingdom was to Jesus and how important it is when he says you're going to be a pillar there. Because, brothers, I want you to listen to me. DJ Tank, would you stand up? Let's give it up for DJ Tank. 
He's one of our newest brothers. As I went and looked over your YouTube video, I'm thinking, here's a pillar to use humor, to use small-time media. Don't let anybody discourage you. Don't let anybody take away from what your gift is of music and multimedia. Brother, I see you as a pillar. And I know a little bit of your story because I've talked to Anthony and to others, and it seems like you might be a pillar that's uprooted. That you didn't, you know, you put all this work for a house that doesn't exist anymore. But I want to tell you what, nothing you've done has gone to waste. You're still a pillar. You still have a place. Every gift is upon you. And if God makes your home here, we don't want to put pressure on you. Brother, there's a place for you to be a pillar here. We will support you. We will love you. We will battle next to you. Let's give it up for DJ Tank. Come on. God bless you, my brother. We take it serious here. We take it serious. I don't know if it's because, you know, I had to start in my house with a home Bible study. But every baptism means something to me. It hasn't gotten old to me. You know, I can't meet everybody, but you know this about me. Those of you know me, I get stuck in, re- in conversations. I'm the opposite of the, the kind of meet and greet pastor. You know, like as you see in the old Western movies or whatever, the guy's standing at the door. He's got the collar. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Thank you for coming. That's not me. All you have to do is look for me. I have someone in a corner, and we're just talking for the next hour, and I'm not letting them leave. I get stuck every time I have relationships here. Why, uh, you know, conversations and relationships. Because to me, I just love your life. I love hearing about where you came from. What were you doing before I met you? What what are you about? What is your passion? I I don't claim to have this down, but it's almost like I'm meeting pillars. Before I get to heaven, I want to see why. God brought you here because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm so sad that pastors have to wait to get to heaven to know all the pillars they had in their church, all the wasted talent. I want to know why God brought you here. What is your giftings? What are your passions? What are you about? That's why, please hear my heart. When I don't go to your thing, this thing, and that thing, it's not to say that, uh, you know, I don't love what you love. Or I don't like what you like. It's me saying that's what you're called to do. Go do it. This church wants to empower you to do it. I may not be able to be at everything you're about, but I want you to know I'm about what you're about. I want you to be that pillar. We see here in the Lord's Prayer in closing that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to go to his Father you know, and call him Father, not just our mighty master creator in the sky that we're afraid of. No, call him Father. Hallow his name. Honor his name. And then call out. Call out for his kingdom to come. Call out for it. Why? Because if in prayer you're always calling out for God's kingdom, when you sit down at that desk and you're crunching numbers, you're going to see what you're doing as unto the kingdom. When you go back and do customer service or you build a house or whatever you do, you're going to see it through kingdom, through kingdom. And that's why as a pastor, I don't want any of you, listen to me, please. I do not want any of you to feel ashamed or embarrassed of whatever you're doing in life, even if it's not the very thing that you want to do. See who you are in that place in life. Who are you in that job? Who are you in that family? Who are you in that community? Don't be ashamed of who you are or where you're at. God is not ashamed of you. This church is not ashamed of you. Sometimes I feel like in a church like this, we we, we try to cover up our stories because we don't want people to think less of us. I even had a dear sister once tell me, Joe, I can't even tell you all of my testimony. I'm embarrassed. Oh, to God that we wouldn't be embarrassed of our testimonies around each other. That we could say, hey, I used to be this, I used to do this, I used to think like this, I used to do, you know. But glory to God, I'm changed, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and now I'm a pillar in the house of God. I'm here waiting until the kingdom of God comes. And then when it comes, you want to find me when the kingdom of God comes. Find me in the temple of my God as a pillar and see all of my enemies worshiping God around me. That's why, I mean, if you want to talk to me about fiction or mythology and things like that, I can do it all day. 
Not because the Bible is so much like myth. It's because myth always copies our Bible. And I love how they're always trying to point out things in our scriptures that they don't even know came from our scriptures. And most of my favorite theologians, like C.S. Lewis and others, always use myth to help point back to Christ. So when I think about what we're going to be as these pillars in the house of God, I think of us being angelic in our nature, beautiful, shining, brighter than the sun, having the power like Jesus to control weather, interacting with those that we're ruling over as the Bible will soon teach us for a thousand years. We're doing it from Jerusalem, going back and forth, maybe through transportation, you know, like beam me up, Scotty, beam me up, Jesus, I got to come to Jerusalem. Who knows how these things will work? But in those moments, my friends, in those moments, everybody get this, we'll never be any greater in our relationship to Christ than we are right now. That's why I want to close out singing that song, I've never been closer to heaven than I am right now. Because listen to me, heaven is here with me now. Even though I'm waiting for heaven to come down to earth and rule and reign, Jesus said, I'm with you always until the very end of the age. He told his disciples that the kingdom of God starts within you. And that right now we have what heaven is about. What is heaven about? Streets of gold? No, heaven is about God. And so where is God? He's in heaven coming to earth, but he's also in me right now. Yes, we'll all see streets of gold. Yes, we'll all see New Jerusalem. Yes, we will all see physical, tangible things that you will point to and go kingdom of God. But Jesus will still be the same. That's why you could be around earthly Jesus. Everybody get this. You could be around earthly Jesus and not get one miracle, but a woman could touch him in a certain way and get set free for the rest of her life. Jesus said not to ask like he didn't know, like, who touched me? No, he knew, but he wanted to see could his disciples clue in and could the woman be bold and come talk to him. So he said, who touched me? And what did the disciples say? Jesus, you're in a crowd. Everybody's touching you. But what does he mean by that? He's saying, someone has touched me with the faith to receive from me. They know who I am and what I can do here. I want to talk to that one who touches me with their heart. And so listen, if you're thinking that you need more signs and wonders to touch him now, you need more more proof to touch him now, you don't get it because you wouldn't have touched him then because there was tons of people that didn't even get it then. Those who touch the heart of God see past the limitations of this world. They see past all the problems, and they see a God that's willing to help and interact with us. They see Jesus as passing by, in other words. The Spirit is here through the church. Remember, he said, I'll give you those keys, and we have those keys. He has them. He has given them to us, and we are loosing We are loosing over this city in the name of Jesus in open heaven that the devil cannot stop so that the blessing of God can come upon this earth. I want to be a kingdom builder upon this city. In this city, does anybody want to join with me as pillars? Would you stand up, pillars of God? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Somebody say it in prayer. I want to be a pillar in the house of God. Come on, I want to be a pillar for you, Jesus. If you came here today and you don't know Jesus yet personally, would you just ask him to be the Lord of your life? He died on the cross so you could be forgiven of sins. To be forgiven, all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. Say, Jesus, forgive me, for I have sinned. And just whatever comes to your heart, confess it to him. And for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, all you have to do is confess him as Lord. Say, Jesus, be the Lord. Be the God of my life. Save me, lead me, guide me, and watch what he'll do in your life. In a few moments, we'll open up this time of prayer. You can come up, and you can begin to pray with someone else and get to learn more about Jesus. For those of us who already know Jesus, is there anything today that's hindering you from being a pillar right now in the house of God? Would you ask the Lord to remove it out of your life right now? Lord, remove any cracks in my foundation, any chipped up paint. Come on, go with that illustration of a pillar. Ask the Lord to remove anything that takes you away from being who he called you to be. Oh, man, I wish I could call on so many of you even right now as I sense the the Lord want me just to pray for you by name. But you just have to know that the Lord loves you, right? Even if I don't call your name, you have to know that he loves you. 
You've got to remain faithful, saints, because God's got you. So many of you I know right now, just you're looking at your life and you're going, man, am I really a pillar? Look at all this stuff I got going wrong. You are. Ask the Lord to remodel you. Ask the Lord to renovate. Ask him to clean it up. Ask him to patch it up. Ask him to, to do his work and you don't give up on his plan now. A few moments right now. And then we'll let you come and pray as well. A few moments. Who's going to be a temple, a pillar in the temple of God? Lord, don't let anyone out, uh, leave out here, Lord, the same way they came. Let us leave out of here pillars with our backs straightened and our chins up high going, I'm a king's kid. I'm a pillar in the house of God. No one may see it now, but I know who I am. I know what God has called me to be. I won't let my past define me. I won't let my situations define me. In the name of Jesus. And lastly, if you're already in that position at the pillar, but you feel like the weight that you're holding is so heavy, there's so many stresses in life, can I just encourage you today that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He's the glue that holds you together. He's the cement. He's the marble. He's that which gives you the ability to remain strong under pressure. You are not here alone. You are not bearing that alone. The Bible says, come unto me, Jesus speaking, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. If you feel burdened today by what you're holding up, give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Jesus, take our burdens. Carry our life situations as we walk in this world. We know we'll have to be obedient. We know we'll have to do things. We know we'll have to play our role, as it were. But we're trusting God for the strength. Just like you don't know where the strength is in your bone right now. Where is it? Is it in the calcium? Is it in the sinew? But you're trusting it to hold you. Trust God to hold your soul today. God is the strength of a human soul. He is the anchor. He is the foundation. Flow through us with your power today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Can you bless them today, church? We bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Please come up for prayer if you would still like to do so. Otherwise, we're going to dismiss and we're going to worship and get ready for second service. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Life Groups. Come on up if you would like prayer once again. God bless you.